World Central Kitchen is serving thousands of fresh meals to Ukrainian families fleeing home, as well as people remaining in the country. This week on Let's Talk About Food, host Louisa Kasdan spoke with Henry Patterson about his upcoming relief trip. So you're going to Poland, and I think you told me you're going to be there for at least two weeks. I'm going to Poland to help feed Ukrainian refugees. With Jose Andreas's World Central Kitchen, I decided that's what I wanted to do for my 70th birthday. I leave in just a few days. We all see that what the Russians are doing is contemptible. As a food person, we all love to help. It's in our DNA. And here are people who really need our help. So if you want to help the Ukrainian refugees, either with money or even your hands and heart, find hashtag Chefs for Ukraine and World Central Kitchen. We have to do something. We can help. Remember, hashtag Chefs for Ukraine. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one of your hosts, Aaron Bresnitz. If you are looking for different ways of how to support the humanitarian crisis in the Ukraine, please head to heritageradionetwork.org for more resources. And please remember to take some time for yourself, take a break from the news, decompress, check in with friends, and remember to breathe. We're super excited for an all-new episode today. First up, we have Chef Dom Crisp of Sasso, a year-old restaurant in Pasadena. It is Basque-inspired, focused on seafood sustainability. And we talk about him being born into this life, his journey to this restaurant, and what he learned along the way. And then we have Bloomsday, a wonderful duo coming out of Brooklyn, whose debut album, Place to Land, is a really inspiring and fun album, perfect for the summer and the spring. It's going to be on heavy rotation in our house. So we're super excited to have them sit down with us, talk about the live shows, play a couple live tracks, and just get into it. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes.
Chef Dom, thank you so much for taking the time out of working at Sasso to sit down with us Snacky Tunes. We really appreciate it. Uh, how you doing? How's everything going? It's my pleasure. I'm doing great. Thank you so much. I'm excited to talk to you, Darren. Yeah. So um, I know a lot of chefs these days preach farm to table, but you were actually born into it on your yeah. family's vineyard up in Oregon. Um when did you realize how how a young age did you realize like that was not the norm, or you know <laughs> that other kids weren't being born on vineyards? What uh what do you remember from that those early years? I think I remember it wasn't normal when my dad <laughs> came in for like show and tell, um, like one of those days where we bring your parents into work and like you know everyone's got those kind of like normal jobs and my dad came in and showed everyone how to graft uh vi- like um vines together to uh, like start a vineyard and i was like okay this is some like intense stuff for little kids to be doing and like my dad is definitely different and like what we do is different my lunch looks different than all the other kids um so yeah i think from a very very early age i think um and you know what do you do when you're a kid you're like you just want to fit in so like, of course I always wanted to live in the city, uh, the city, right? It was like, sure, the town. Um, but um, it was looking back and remembering some of the most vivid memories I have of like freedom and like fresh air and just unbridled creativity, I think occurred like with me just running around pretty much half naked. Mm. So, um, you know. What a what a time to be alive, right? I know it's it's the thing that people would pay for now, or <laughs> like on vacation, like oh, you get to live on a farm for a week and you you get to you got to grow up there. Um, yes, but you know, uh, growing up on a farm doesn't automatically mean you dedicate your life to cooking, especially when you're looking at your classmates and you're saying, "I just want to fit in. I don't, you know, I don't need this farm to lunchbox." whole lifestyle but your mother was a big cook and a, and a, a big um a big uh influence on you on your 
on your food journey. What do you remember from her cooking in the kitchen? What do you remember her making? What what still inspires you today from her cooking for you as a kid? Well, let's just let's just start uh, at the beginning. Um, now that I think of it, you know, I, I was a home birth, and I was literally like born in the same room as a as a kitchen and. Mm. In, in this little cabin with a wood stove. Um, you know, that's just the way my folks wanted to do it. Um, and uh, I just remember, you know, hilarious stuff. Like my mom packing sardines in my lunch when I was, <laughs> like, when I was like really young. And like, sure. I, I, I love them. But like when you crack a can of sardines in a lunch cafeteria, when, you know, it's like, K through whatever five, like you're going to get some flack. I mean, that rolling back of that aluminum top never sounded louder. No, exactly. Um, (laughs) It might as well be a beer, honestly. um, But uh, I, um, I remember her doing that. And then uh, just from then on, I would, I would be able to have, you know, I, I got cooler as a kid, I think. Sure. And, um, you know, started skating and like, uh, uh, let's just say burning a lot of calories. And like, what I do is just kind of roll up on my mom and be like, all right, mom, like what's next? Like hit me with those calories, you know? Right. Right. And she was, she was always (laughs) very supportive of my caloric intake, uh, as a young teenager. Love it. And I just, it was, it was weird. It was like definitely some hippie stuff. You know, one of my favorite things she made was like, this um she'd make this like fat quesadilla um that was always on like a flour tortilla that took up like the the entire bottom of a large cast iron it's the only way that's the perfect size yeah so she would make you know tillamook cheddar because we're oregonians like of course um and but she loaded up with like sprouts avocado and fresh tomato and then fold that thing over and it was like, you know, crunchy on the outside. You got the cheese, the fat vibes, you know, and then just like fresh crunch, natural fat from avocado and tomato. And I didn't realize like, okay, like if I, I could start like a restaurant in LA, like based on that quesadilla in like Echo Park. So, you know what I mean? Like it's just that flavor profile. Um, so I, I just remember stuff like that, but then it got even better you know, like she would, sure. she would have like family gatherings, you know, uh, Thanksgiving, I think was my favorite and most important, um, holiday because every year I felt like she invited different people over, uh, mm. seen for a while, or, you know, it, it was just always this huge affair and she would always try new things. Like she'd make paella one year. There was always like, a rib, you know, or not a rib roast, but like a, a, a pork roast. There was always, it was never like, oh, like bring out the turkey and like the canned cranberry. It's like, do that. If those cranberry, if that cranberry sauce wasn't fresh. Yeah. If it wasn't coming from your little uh, cranberry pond out back. Yeah. No exactly. thanks. Yeah. If it wasn't like traceable cranberry sauce, you know. Um, no, but it was, it was just about her fearlessness in the kitchen. And most of all. She would, she, for some reason, she would take on these diets that were just wild. Like she was on a raw food diet. Mm. One time she was really inspired by 
Um, there's a chef here who does like plant food and wine, uh, Chef Kenny. Yep. Um, and she, she was just like, like I remember her literally making ice cream out of a juicer out of frozen bananas and carob. So mm. like, it was just I, like, stuff like that's that. a calorie bomb right there. Yeah, but it was just like I, you know. It, it, it goes from weird to like next level, you know, like where you're just like, okay, like, and that's, I think she has always been my greatest inspiration about her fearlessness in the kitchen and willingness to try stuff. And obviously, you know, she's, she is, you know, she's gone now. Um, and, but she, she's always with me in the kitchen, man. Like she's, she's the one being like, okay, like, let's do this. Let's try this. You know, let's, let's go for it. You know, I want to try this, you know? So, I mean, she was a huge inspiration, but honestly, my dad, you know, he was never a cook. Like he's, right, he's right. a winemaker. He's a, he's a, uh, a wine, uh, like a grower. Like he's out in the field conducting. I call him a conductor because he's just like, he's out there making sure things are smooth, consistent, rocking. I learned a lot from him and my mom when it came to leadership. But um, he he really loves to like eat good stuff and have relationships with people. And he took me to a lot of cool restaurants and a lot of cool spots growing up. So I mean, it seems like he has that good balance with your mom, where your mom was cooking and and in the kitchen and once you got the ingredients of doing something special, but he was really about the network of farmers and restaurants and practicing good neighborly support for, for local growers and other businesses. Yes, absolutely. Like the way that he pulled up on like his farm supply, I remember like he'd pull up in like Rick Reel, Oregon or wherever he was at and pull up and just ask for these like specific things that, they didn't really have a lot of because it's like he he has been practicing organic farming and natural winemaking uh, since before it was cool, and he doesn't put it on his label, like he just like does it. So it's just kind of crazy, um, you know. It's just like it's wild because he he did what I did, where it's like. He didn't really have a mentor. He kind of self-taught himself how to do this. Um, and he's really good at all aspects of it, well-rounded. And that's like like how I see myself as a chef. It's like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good cook. I, I'm, sure. not, I'm not strong at pastry by any means. That's, that's not fine. Something. That's <laughs> fine. Yeah. Not everyone has to be good at everything in the kitchen. It's I yeah. think that's what gets lost a little bit these days where it's like, you need good partners. You need someone who dedicated their life to pastry exactly, or, or, or to baking. And you say, you got this and here's where our flavors can overlap. Here's where we can support each other. Mm-hmm. I'll be over here taking what I've learned. Yeah, exactly. Like or, my wife and I split up baking and cooking duties. I can't bake. She's yeah, a great yeah, baker. It's cool though, because if, if you split up those duties, but then you have downtime, you can learn those duties. So, sure. That's that's what I'm kind of like working on now is the next phase of my career is really working on sweets and and pay, uh, you know, and I have a lot of time left, like I'm 30, I'm going on 35. So um, it's just like, I just, I would say that I'm, I'm the only reason why I have a great successful restaurant at my age, uh, and was able to get it off the ground pretty much 
um, you know, with a young energetic crew, not a ton of like the sage wisdom or whatever you would call it. Um, you know, where a lot of these other restaurants have this like pedigree, this like this long chain or whatever it is of people that kind of, uh, you know, push the restaurant forward. It's like, we, you know, we did it during COVID because I feel like I just knew like I'm well-rounded at all of these things. I've worked front of the house. Um, you know, I remember listening to my dad talking to me about talking to me about being a waiter when I was a very young kid and how, how important it was to try and do that just to get experience talking to people and talking to guests. Um, and um, then I also remember a little bit about my mentor, Davide um, Filippini, who's a chef up in Portland, Oregon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, he's wild because he taught me how to like come to work looking great, never put on a chef coat, go in the back and make like chiapino for someone for lunch in a cardigan while talking to them the whole time coming out and never breaking conversation and never hitting a speed. That's like, I'm frantically doing this. Like it was so natural to him to be like, so invested in the relationships with the people that he was cooking with that the cooking part of it and his flavors and everything was like the icing on the cake of the relationship of these people coming. to mm. So like, I just, I learned that from him, you know, where it's like, I have these relationships with regulars that it's like, I could care less what people say on Yelp or the internet because like, sure. I, I'm sorry, like these people that come to the restaurant are here to see my team and are here to see me and we have relationships with them. And I think sometimes that's, that's better than gold. You know what I mean? Like that. Of course, when, when you can feed your, your colleagues and they can give you that respect. Exactly. And so, um, <clears throat> but then obviously learning a lot of wild creativity, um, you know, through, through my mom, that's, um, kind of then, then sent me to France to like actually learn a lot of cooking. I was going to ask that because, you know, you got into cooking professionally really young at 15. So obviously yeah. growing up on the farm, your mother cooking, your father teaching you about say sustainability, it seemed like your life path was locked in. Uh, although you did say you were skating, so I, I don't know if you. Uh, if <laughs> no, you... it was it was it was really crazy because I I just I just think that no one really knows these days what they want to do until they have that aha moment, um, you know. And I I don't think it's even you know destined on everyone. Um, mm -hmm. I think that it's okay to not know what you want to do. Sure. I think it's also okay to not be completely happy doing what you do for money. Um, I think that this whole dynamic of like, you know, this wild society we live in is like, it's, it's wearing and tearing for sure. But like, you know, as long as you are able to be happy and you go out and like are able to blow steam off on the weekends or, or hang out and see the people that you love, like you're having a good life. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm one of the very few people who had a crazy aha moment, which I'll, I'll get into um, in France that sent me on this track, a very fast track to be 
um, doing what I love doing every single day, honestly. And, and the support of your parents, because yeah. y- y- you know, you're, you're a little bit older and food isn't what it is today or the idea of working in a restaurant isn't what it is today. And so to have this mo- mom and dad sending you to Europe, which is yeah wild, but then also saying like, I'm going to work in food and they're like, go for it. That's a huge, that's a huge support system yes. to have at a young age. Yeah, that's uh that's a really great point. And obviously, like I always try and be a little bit aware of my privilege because Sure, sure, um, of course. I think that um, you know, people growing up in Oregon as a as a white man, a uh, little bit little bit jaded. There's a lot of um mm. there's a lot of people just like me up there who work just as hard, who have similar support systems, and they don't they don't choose to be like, okay, I'm actually talented and I'm a commodity, I should get out of here and like share my knowledge and share what I have and even share my privilege because maybe I could teach somebody and activate people. Um, which I think, uh, I think, uh, I've, I've done a good job of actually here in LA, um, just being able to like open up a restaurant and create jobs and, uh, tell people on the side, Hey, like, I, I want to keep going. I want to keep doing stuff. I want you to take over from me one day. You know what I mean? And I think that that's, that's really like crazy to have those conversations at 35 with people. If that makes sense. Of course. Of yeah. course. Well, uh, look, I want to take a quick musical break. And then when I get back to your time in Europe and what eventually brought you to the Basque region and then the opening of Sasso over in Pasadena. Sounds uh, good. But we're going to take a quick musical break. From the archives here on heritageradionetwork.org. Smoke. 
making the battle sounds, yeah. In these days of war, in these days of war, oh little bird, why do you fly? Leave me alone in this silent day And how do you sing in these days of war Where no one listens anymore Well I fly because I must carry on To love, to feed, to make my home And I sing is near because anger holds the hand of fear yeah I sing to know that love is near because anger holds the hand of fear I sing to know that love is near oh courage take the hand of fear We are back with Chef Dom Crisp of Sasso talking to us about his time in Europe. And you, before the break, um, you said you had this big revelatory moment in France, which to be lucky enough to have any sort of revelatory moment in France is wonderful, (laughs) but one that is uh, setting you on your career path. Um, What was the moment? What inspired it? uh, Set the stage. Well, I just... I want to preface this that like if if you don't like doing the same thing every single day, literally wax on, wax off, tear it up, tear it down, cooking is not cooking professionally is not the thing for you. And that is because there is monotony in it that will drive people crazy. Mm. Um, if you know, it's, it's a, actually about living in the moment and enjoying it and, and, and sharing in that and not having this like short attention span when it comes to that, because it takes a great deal of intention and respect, um, and, and really just attend, you know, to detail, to make sure that you're putting out great food quickly. So, um, I think that when I was in France, um, I, I'd, I'd p- passed quite a f- bit of time in France and I'd actually worked front of the house as a waiter before, um, in France and learned French and just like that refined service 
in southern France at a bistro de pays, which means the bistro of the country. And it's like a collection of these bistros. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're all phenomenal and they all specialize in like certain dishes. The one I was at specialized in, I would say, kind of a, a surf and turf thing. So they, we had an amazing uh, steak that I do um, uh, for certain people. Um, and it might end up at the menu on the menu at Sasso, mm. which is a uh, chocolate and sep, um, which is essentially like a porcini um, mushroom crusted steak. Uh, there was a fillet, uh, uh, and it is amazing. And then they also did like, you know, we have our whole fish, but they did like a, a baked Durad, which they call Durad Royale down there. Um, so pretty classic for Southern France. I mean, um, but, um, so I did front of house first and then like left and came back and this was kind of before I was like very inspired for the kitchen. And then I decided um, you know, hey, like, I'm really interested in learning uh, kitchen stuff. Like, let's go back to that bistro and I'll, I'll work in the kitchen. Sure. And I worked for the chef who is actually a uh, Italian-American Jewish expat who, like, was living in southern France. Uh, we we're connected uh, with him through my family. Uh, his name is Mark. And he was hilarious. I mean, he's, he's like very emotional man. Um, very good at cooking, very organized, um, very sarcastic. Um, right. and when he got mad or when he got stressed out, uh, it was like the classic, like pan throwing tantrum chef activity, uh, that you see on like TV. And, it was really crazy to work in that environment, but he, I would say that that being there in this town that literally has nothing except the restaurant that I worked at like six days a week because it was like the height of, you know, um, tourist season down there, um, in the middle of Provence, like literally if you pointed at the middle of Provence, like that's where we were north of Marseille, like an hour and a half. Like, at this point, when I started working there, I was just like, oh, cool, I'm gonna learn so much. I'm gonna like learn all this stuff. And like, when you get there, it's just like, cool, like, take the trash out, clean this, cut these, sure, sure, cut, sure, cut these green beans like the same freaking way every day, or we're gonna make you do them again, you know? And um, that part of it was really hard for me for the first mm. couple of weeks. Um, I also was very much like focused on me and my personal life while I was there. Of course. And, um, you know, I had like a girlfriend at the time. She was going to come visit me, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Um, but then like things started to change. Like my girlfriend and I were pretty much breaking up while I was there. I was really lonely. Um, I was, uh, just struggling. And I remember like hitting, rock bottom emotionally being like, I don't want to be here. This sucks. Why did I come here? I'm not learning anything. Um, and it was during a lightning storm in Southern France, which is very uh, common 
and the lightning was like purple. So like the color of the lavender. And I remember like smoking a rolly cigarette and watching <laughs> and watching this happen and feeling kind of depressed, but the energy and the smell um, I was experiencing during the storm, I was like, this is it, bro. You can either, you, you can either, you know, bow out or you can be like, no, focus on cooking, finish this project, finish learning and only mm. do this. This is why you're here. Forget about everything else. Forget about your personal stuff. Go to work, clean up and just like smash it. You know what I mean? Hmm. And I just, and what I actually was doing is being like, also in the back of my mind, be like, be a chef. You know what I mean? Like you wanted this, you want this, go do it. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. And from that moment on, I did it. And when I, when I accepted it, like literally like my work got better. I learned more. Um, I ended up like, it was crazy. I ended up like dating one of the French girls that worked there and staying, there you go. staying with her in Marseille and cooking for her and her like friends in Marseille. And like, just like the rest of my trip was like super badass. And I came back to the States with like a lot of fire under my ass um, which it doesn't really work out in Portland, Oregon, because it's like, you know, people knew I got back and they were just like, oh, you're just like a fancy French boy now. Sure, you know? sure, sure. Oh, God. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I know those people. Yeah. I mean, I don't know them, but I, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I call them killjoys. I also call them townies. Sure. Um, but the, um, the world is full of them. Yeah. But like, all those people, like some of the same people who were like that are like doing great stuff. And like, I still talk to them. Um, but, um, yeah, I just, I got back and, but then eventually it was like, did my first pop-up and reconnected with my, uh, kind of my long lost love, uh, who's now my wife and she lived down here in LA. Oh, look at that full circle. Yeah. So, and I, I was really, I, you know, I ended up working shit jobs in Portland, too, that I really just made me unhappy. And she came out of the woodwork, man, and was just like, hey, what's up? I'm, I'm going to be in town. I want to see you. And I was like, cool, I'm at work. And, you know, I was like sitting there like flipping burgers. And she came up and I was like smoking a cigarette. And then I just like, you know, we kissed. And I was like, dude, I, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with Portland. Like, I got to leave. You know what I mean? Like, where are you at? And she's like, I'm in L.A. So, um, I, uh, yeah, the rest is kind of, um, fast track history. So, uh, I hope I didn't skip any steps. I think we were going to talk about no. friends and they kind of like shot me all the way. To- no, I, I love it. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting to see the journey. Um, yeah. now I want to make sure we get to, to Sasso, but before we do that, you had a trip to the Basque country. And the thing that you always talk about when you talk about Sasso is that it's, Basque inspired yeah. and you're bringing this Basque energy to it. Yeah. Um, now it's a very niche region. I, I have yet to have the pleasure of visiting. I've, I've had some Basque food in my life, but uh, you know, it's not as well known as let's say France or Italy or even, even other, other countries or areas in Europe. What drew you there and what is the Basque energy that, that captivated your mind? Well, there was a lot of, um, 
chefs talk a lot, right? So like, sure. we're, you know, I'd be at work, um, you know, talking to my, my chef, uh, Spencer at L and E when I first got to, um, chef Spencer was there from a Right. Uh, yep. And he, when I first got to LA, he took a trip there and mm. was, I think very much inspired by that region. Um, I think, um, that was in my back of my head, like, Oh, you know, this is a crazy region. I've never been to Spain. Sure. And it's always been like that. Um, I don't know how you kind of like, I think I was just scared because I knew French and I didn't speak Spanish. And so when I got to LA, I started to learn a lot of, uh, Spanish. And Mm. so it just become, it started becoming more attainable. Like, Hey, like you speak a little Spanish, you're learning more about like, you know, that food because chefs are talking about it. And then it was also like, I had this moment when I was working my other job, um, you know, with my corporate job, the one creative chef, uh, who was with me there, chef Zach kept talking about these ovens. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, these Jasper ovens, like, Mm -hmm. they're like, charcoal contained ovens and i was like what the hell is this this sounds so cool like uh where is one and they're like oh go to like mizza in echo park which obviously is not there anymore r.i.p yeah r.i.p but like they have this like old they had this old janky one there um but they're doing like crazy amounts of good food out of it you know the classic bronzino and all of this stuff and like the way that they were doing it um you know kind of uh Tel Aviv style or Israeli, you know, like super simple, um, which also was one of my latest trips, uh, which is really amazing. But um, I think uh, it finally, I finally was just like, okay, like we got to go. Like I got to plan a trip with my wife. We got to go to Spain. Um, We'll go to Barcelona and we're going to go to San Sebastian. And what was even crazier is I had like a childhood friend that lived there. Hmm. and he, he's just like badass. Like I, I, you know, it's not a negative thing, but he's, he was like a gutter punk. Like he like, yeah. he, like he went to like new Orleans on a train and like sure. worked, worked like the sugar beet harvest to make money. And like wow. was there at, right after Katrina happened and just like lived there. And I was just like, wow. Mm-hmm. Like I hadn't seen this kid since we were kids, you know? And like we linked over Facebook cause he was hanging out with this Basque lady and um, so it was, it was going to be really cool to reconnect with him as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, like let's go right into that trip. I mean, like landing in Barcelona, my wife is like sick from the plane. Mm. I'm literally dragging her around the city, <laughs> you know, like zero F's like, I'm sorry, we're going to eat at Cal Pep and we're going to go to the market off the Rambla. Like, you know, we have very little time to spare, you know? Yeah. So Barcelona for the first little bit was amazing. And then we loaded up and got in a train and it was like a six hour train ride to San Sebastian. And when we got there, it was just like, okay, so we're back in Oregon. Right. Yeah. Like it literally felt like arriving in Oregon, except way better architecture. Um, and way better food (laughs) so um it was it was amazing we had an airbnb that was like looked out onto the old part of town and then to the right you had the more like 
local area where the market was that I would get up and like go down there and get some coffee and then, um, uh, you know, get some stuff for the day. Uh, I made breakfast a lot in, in, uh, in the apartment. Um, and, um, experimenting with like these amazing ingredients, they just have crazy stuff like mm. massive mushrooms and just like the best charcuterie, um, you know, with, and I mean like all the way from their like pasture cheeses that are made by the, by the, um, the, the sheep herders, um, and then like right there in the pasture, they, that's where they keep their like little cheese houses. And you're and, like, I know this. This reminds yeah. me of hanging with my dad and going around and growing up. Yeah. Tap and, right in. Yeah. But also like talking to these purveyors, like talking to these like people who are like, they, they know I'm like a tourist, but they're like, oh yeah, this is this, like, this is what we do. Like, this is EDS about cheese or this is, yeah, these are hazelnuts, you know? And I'm like, I know what these are. Like, this is really common, you know, in, in Oregon, like we love these, you know what I mean? And like, yeah. I start to correlate everything. And then I finally went out to these restaurants that are, are just like, it's badass. Like, like mm. the Anthony Bourdain episode does yeah. such justice. You know, he calls it like batteries of pinchos or something. It's just like you walk in and you're just hit with like hospitality. Hey, come here. Let me get you a drink. You know, and like you're hit with like just it's like uh, I almost think it's like probably how Harry Potter felt when he like walked into like mm-hmm. that like candy store when he was a kid on like the first book. You know what I mean? Or, <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. When you're just like overwhelmed, you're like, oh, this is just lifestyle. Yeah. This, this is, is just this is just what it is. This is just normal wizard wizardry. You know what I mean? And like I I was just like, holy shit. Like I'm for sure going to get gout. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like I was like this is unbelievable. And I just remember Gambara, which is like the place that of course, Anthony Bourdain was like super blown away by it. But that place hit so hard on yeah. some levels. Like we had an amazing server who was from Colombia, but she was in the Bass region. And she, you know, she was showing us these bottles of, you know, Chocolina that she was uh, pouring for us. And like the playfulness of that wine mixed with these, like these, really savory seafood dishes plus like this amazing mushroom dish that inspired my mushroom dish yeah the simplicity but yet the like intricacy and the the commitment to like what they're doing like they have piles of their ingredients on the bar like sorry this area is dedicated to what we use like we could clear this out and pack more people in here but like look at what we use you know what i mean like that kind of thing. And then just like, I remember eating the little crab tartlet they have and being like, this is it. Like, I get it. I'm, I know, I know this, this is, this is familiar to me. Um, they're just using from what's in their area and then doing it really simply. Um, and then just like eating, you know, a grilled, a grilled fish down there. I was like, it just reminds me so much of being home and camping and, and just like eating a fish right out of the ocean and um, not fussing around and putting all this crazy sauce on it and and just like being like, this is what we do. Like it, it, you don't have to sit down. You could stand up and eat this if you wanted to. It's very, it's very casual. Um, it's not this like white tablecloth uh, situation 
that, you know, you're going to get a snobby waiter that's being like, oh, you don't know what this is, which happens in France. And I know. I was just like. A little bit less now. You can find a little bit. Yeah. More of a hipper approach. But yes, back then. Yeah. It was like, there's one way to do this level of dining. Exactly. And so I was just like, holy crap. And then when we got back to Barcelona, we had one of the best meals out of a Jasper that I've, I've ever had, which was uh, at this place called Barmut. Um, and it was just like every single dish had, t- you know, like, you know, touched or licked the Jasper. And I was just like, dude, I'm getting one of those and I'm opening a restaurant and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to cook Spanish food. I'm going to, I want it to be Basque inspired. I want to have all these pinchos that are like classic and also my own thing. And they'll change every four, you know, every couple months seasonally. And like we straight just full send committed to that. And that's where we're, that's where we're at. I mean, it's amazing. And, you know, Sasso opened February, 2021. You just celebrated your, your one year anniversary. Yes. And there's a quote that I read about it um, that I'd, I'd love for you to touch on a little bit. But you said, we need to reconnect with food as much as we need to reconnect with each other, which I thought is such a beautiful sentiment of summing up what the restaurant industry has gone through in the last couple of years. Has yeah. that been your North Star? Has that been your guiding force in the last year of the restaurant? You know, it what has, if- it has and it, um, What's intense is, is that, and I, I really appreciate you bringing up that quote. It, it, it reminds me of, of a lot of feelings and, um, uh, that I had, and I, I still feel that way. Um, but what we ended up doing is reconnecting with each other as a team. We had very little turnover mm. when we opened this restaurant that was, we shot it out of a cannon and people were like, this bread is burnt. You know what I mean? And like, mm. you know, being like that, like if you go and get this pan con tomate and, you know, in Spain, it's like a little singed, you know what I mean? And like people, people didn't get it and that was okay. And I think that like the biggest problem was, is having access to this patio. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really brought the worst out in people because they're like fighting and clawing to be on a space Sure. Literally was not even part of the deal. That is just again icing on the cake. Yeah. We had because of COVID. And they were all acting like children over it. Like we had people cry at our host stand because they couldn't sit on the patio. And I'm just like reconnecting with each other has to do with us as an industry. It doesn't have to do with um guests. Because sometimes guests don't get it. And yeah, it's a bummer. Yeah. And that's what I've really kind of decided is that the only thing that matters to me in this whole game uh, has to do with the people that I share my day with. Mm. Um, and it's just like, I just want to keep them happy. I want them to work in a great environment and I want them to, to respect themselves and so they respect what they're doing. And um, it's it's really difficult when you have guests that are, we thought we were going to deal with people that are a little bit more patient because they were all in lockdown. It was the opposite. Mm-mm. So I still stand by it and I want 
I have a lot of still have faith in humanity. Um, but it, for me, it's, it's really, it is still my North star because I, I am committed to my team. And, um, again, the guests that do get it are the guests that are our regulars and we have a lot of them, you know? And so it, it was unreal to see some of these people like come every day. We had guests and still have guests that come multiple times a week. Uh, I remember one of my favorite, favorite people and now friends, Tyler and his wife, Kathy, uh, coming in for lunch on the first opening day and, and being like, Hey, uh, can we order the bone in tomahawk right now? And I was like, yes, you can. Yes, you can. <laughs> yeah. It was just like those, those people get it. And I, I just, I love them. And, uh, that, that's why I opened the restaurant is because of community. Um, and so, but community truly for me is it starts within and, and we just want to, we just want to produce that feeling. So people do feel like we're all having a good time at work. So therefore they should have a good time and they can come to us with any issues and talk to us like adults and say, Hey, I don't get it. I don't, I don't like this. And we'll try and help them out. But sometimes we don't even get that, that, uh, that courtesy. Yeah. Well, you know, look, you've created a very unique space. And I think when people sit in that courtyard, which is supposed to be the entrance to the Pasadena Playhouse, it doesn't always connect about what a special place it is. And uh, sometimes it just takes a little bit of education and patience, but you've built a beautiful spot for the community and, and congratulations on your first year. Oh, thanks so much. I really appreciate that, Darren. Like, it's it's just been a phenomenal joy ride honestly and we we just we just really really like what we do like ultimately like from the from the kitchen to the wait staff to the bar staff like such such great people like it's it's just been so amazing amazing well listen congratulations if people want to check out the restaurant or follow along where can they go online Definitely just go to sassobistro.com and, you know, check the website out, uh, get a reservation. Uh, You can totally uh, message us about, you know, larger parties or inquiries at info at sassobistro.com. We are now trading uh, months uh, being able to use the patio because the play is in session, Mm -hmm. uh, which is for me – it's great because we have a locked in kind of clientele that's going to come into the restaurant and, yeah. um, you know, we have our regulars, but it's like, it's really cool to see these different kind of folks going to this play and exper- experiencing the restaurant at the same time. So well, are you, uh, locked and loaded for the, um, five thirty theater crowd who are, have 45 minutes to dine? Yeah, we are. We actually are. Like, it's been pretty amazing. The, yeah. the team, the team really is able to push, um, you know, food, uh, and, and drinks and everything like we can, we can bust it out. So it's really, um, it's, it's definitely not a slow paced dining experience if, if you don't want it to be, um, no. which, is, no, which, no, no. Is, which is truly the essence of dining in San Sebastian. So, um, we're definitely, uh, Bask inspired by taste, look, likeness, and speed. Amazing. Well, Chef, thank you so much. Deeply appreciate it. We have a song from the archives and then a live performance from Brooklyn's very own Bloomsday here 
on heritageradionetwork.org. Oh, Shout out Fresco. I, I, I can take two steps along the street without turning hella heads. I think they're onto me. I go about my business on the screen, but they yearning for my life information on cheap. Trouble choosing between longing and your knees. You look me up and down like I'm a tree. Thinking I don't see the way your fantasies unleash. I stare ahead so far away. So I don't meet your gaze. Beware of a lonely man. I'm not flattered, I'ma kick you through the rubble Go about my day, my vision turns into a tunnel I'ma live my life cause it's a beautiful day So I don't care that you can away And I'ma stay back This episode is brought to you by Roberta's home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Bloomsday, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Iris and Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us. Congratulations on your single release party at Baby's All Right. Shout out to Billy and the guys. Shout out to uh, Billy you, and the guys. <laughs> thank you for uh, coming by Snacky Tunes. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having us. Um, snacky. Like, Good old Snacky. Good old Snacky. So, you know, you put up the single and you got the album coming. I know, and we'll get into this because this, there was Bluish, which was the precursor, but this is like the first 
debut of Bloomsday, what does it feel like to like release your baby, your first baby into the world under Bloomsday? <laughs> we were pregnant for a really long time. <laughs> it feels couple like of a years, long couple of pregnancy. years. Yep. Um, we're lucky to be working with Bayonet Records. Shout out. Which is based, shout out to Katie Garcia and and Beach Fossils. Their record label is awesome. Love them. Um, they actually found us at Baby's All Right. That's where we were like picked up, and that's also where we're doing or where we did the single release. So, Ooh, um, it feels uh, good. I mean, it feels yeah. like the like initiation of like our our time as a, like a band. You know, there was like a history behind us already, but like we're really beginning now. Mm. Yeah, I mean, your fans and followers might know you as Bluish, and then 2018, if I if I remember correctly there was like a creative shift and like a, a change in like what you wanted to do and, and a different approach to making songs. What precipitated that shift? What made you want to change your direction? What made you, you know, to rebrand, which is always a tough, I don't want to say sell, but like asking people who liked you to like come along on you with this new artistic journey. Well, that's like been something that I feel like I've had to do throughout as a musician is kind of like, I had like a solo project and then I met Alex and really wanted to like create a collaborative thing and didn't really know what that would look like. So getting him, you to join me in my, in my music, Alex was definitely like one. Hey buddy. Yeah. It's been a process like just, just, just with the music side of things too. Like, you know, uh, for uh, what, even, even just the part where we've been, playing together like we we sort of like made a whole record one day and then we were like yeah yeah oh it's just that easy you just meet your creative soulmate and you're like let's make a record well we made a record really early on and we're like oh that's not it let's try again later yeah um, it's sort of it's sort of been like a slow come up in a lot of ways and it's been really fun to like be like a local band and play shows and like have friends who like kind of know what we're about, but yeah, it's still taking on a different feeling now. Yeah. Like playing this, playing these same songs for years, but then like knowing that the general public will hear them for the first time now is like such a, an interesting experience, at least for us, I think, because we're like, it's like having to renew them again with everyone. But then like, there's so many people that have like been on the road with us the whole time. You know, now they're like, let's do it. It's going to happen now. Uh, I, I want to talk about the songs and get into to the writing of the album. But going back to your creative partnership, um, it's interesting what you say, because so many times you, we talk to people and they're like, as soon as I met them, I knew we had to make art. We had to just get together. But it's interesting to say that you two met and they're like, this isn't right now, but it evolved. Can you talk about that evolution and then when you knew it was the right time to create together? Yeah, well, it was like it was more like we wanted to document right away. So we wrote a song right away, similar to what you're saying, where we met and then I was like, here's a song. And then we literally like made our favorite song together. Mm. And that was like the initiation of the band. Which song? Blew it. Stand By was the song. And that was like our one song really as a band for, for a minute. <laughs> we were like, and here's the hit guys. Um, and then we recorded things at Artifact Audio, which is like a really cool studio in MassPeth with our friend Jesse Paller. Um, but we really didn't know what the heck we like sounded like at that point because we had just met like a month or two before and hadn't really like 
spend time to like figure out what the band sounded like. So in the process of like two years, Alex became a total sound guy <laughs> and mm. nerd and engineer. And I, I think like hunkered down and like got a little more, well, I definitely understood like more about like who I was, my identity was changing. And mm. so like the growth as like individuals and like identities all like, you know, we stick, we stuck together and when 2020 hit, we were like, I guess we got to do this thing now. I guess we have like no excuse not to, not to do this now. No more shows to like, cause it was a lot of like live shows and we never really like stopped to record for a really long time. Mm. So yeah. Well, we, had, um, we had a flow. We, 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 we really like, we're just, it was just like every, every time a show happened, we were like, Oh, we got off for this other one. Let's, let's do that. Let's rehearse mm-hmm. for that. And, and um, you know, are you going out tomorrow and, and what, whatever we do, we just sort of tabled the, the album thinking for for a while. And, uh, but it, but it, feels like it came out finally at a time where we were really like like it came like there was a timing thing where it was like oh yeah this is what we have to do right now because it's like quarantine and like we have to do but it's all but it was also like a very logical place in our like evolution together aesthetics and 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 separately and as individual like aesthetically and really sort of knowing sort of what we want to sound like and like having a list of people we liked who's we, we liked their albums the way their albums sounded and um we're like okay we really just want to make something that sounds great now um but, but i do think that that spark that like sort of spark between the interpersonal spark uh, in, the, in the creative um uh, partnership was there like instantly as, oh. as as the trope goes um yeah yeah we definitely were like Oh wow, you're you're doing this, and you feel thing about that one, and I, and you do that. Oh, that fits perfectly. Oh, let's just do it, and yeah. it did make sense like instantly. But but it's but it's we've had a couple different paths in the in in the meantime. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, let's kick things off. First live song. Let's let's hear "Stand By," which is your favorite song. Uh, so here we go. Bloomsday playing "Stand By" live here on Snacky Tunes on HRN.org. See it on your face, stuck inside your 
Awesome. I can see why it's your favorite song. Fantastic. Um, so I want to get into Place to Land, uh, the album. And, you know, you were talking about before about how you're playing shows and, and you're out and you're you're hanging, things like that. And it's one thing to be out playing shows and be out and about and be like, oh, we're this duo. It's another thing to get into the actual process of making and recording an album and and Iris, you mentioned getting more serious about maybe songwriting. And Alex, you learned a little bit more about the technical stuff. But how did you decide how to work together? What was that like coming together as artists and saying, we're going to actually put something down and make it mm-hmm. tangible and, and, and exist for more than just a, a live moment? Um, I guess I'll go first. I think it was actually a really... I mean, it brought us really close together. I would say this this guy is my guy. Like, I really feel like that kind yeah, no. of like cemented the the closeness because we, you know, it was just me and Alex. Like sometimes, a lot of the time, we were mask on in this like scary time, mm. and um, you know, getting my like raw feelings into a sound mm. um, and putting our brains together to kind of like really make sure we don't make sure you honor the feelings and what, like what needs to happen for the listener to experience, like what the song is intended to be experienced as, um, I think was a learning process for both of us. Like Alex had had all the technical stuff. I think you finally felt like the confidence there from what I understood, but then also just like having to then like artistically, um, like improvise together on like how do we like convey this um was pretty cool I think it it brings about like in in, for me like personal nerves around like being deliberate and directing like what I want and learning about like how to say that um was a really cool experience at least for me and I think we found like some language together where we now know what each other 
is thinking and that that gets stronger as time goes on. Mm, I love that. I love that. You like learning each other's new language together. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot like love languages. Like they say, um, uh, like we have our own sort of viewpoints on, uh, a lot of things in music and our own, our own, you know, stances in, in how to approach things in music and, it's like constant. It feels like it's constantly like this process is like this really rewarding process of meeting in the middle, mm. um, translating to each other, and you know reaching this like thing. At the end of it, you're like, okay, that was there all along, and it was bound to happen. But it, it's a lot of like you know not really knowing what's what's about to happen going in, and and yeah, and like you said, like uh, um, I I was like sort of hitting my stride in that technical sense. Like I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, hell yeah, I know, I know, I know I can make an objectively good sounding record. <laughs> um, uh, no excuses. And um, you were thinking whatever crazy thoughts you were thinking, Iris, but, but um, like uh, the, the whole process of really getting your hands dirty and uh, putting in the, the like real world interpersonal uh, work that it takes to um, come up with a, a finished thing that we not only think sounds good, but like feel good about, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I happy together. Yeah. Um, it is kind of yin and yang. Like we do come from, like he was saying, like two different perspectives and meeting mm. in the middle. It's like, I, we, I need him to do this and I, he needs me to do it. So that's like a, one of the ways that that works like literally for example is that like i i I end up compulsively speaking a lot of music theory and Mm. and like uh i've found ways to like curb that or translate it to iris who like doesn't have the same background in music theory but basically knows what i'm saying all the time in their own Mm -hmm. way Mm -hmm. and um and that's 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 one version of it and 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 you you do like a lot more like speaking in in, in, about feelings and, and like it feels kind of esoteric at first, but then it ends up being something really, really tangible. Mm, yeah. That's great. Now we know that a lot of the times in recording food and cooking and eating is a huge part of driving the process. Who cooks? Was an order in? Was a takeout? What were you guys doing to, uh, to keep the bellies full so the minds could work? <laughs> Well, actually, we were lucky enough to have some dinners from your parents, Alex. Oh, that's so awesome. What did they yeah. cook? We did a lot of it at my parents' house, and, and they uh, the currency, their currency is food. So, I mean, I get that. I get that. Yeah, what did uh, they cook? They did what? What did they yeah. cook? Yeah, oh. what did they cook? Uh, <laughs> a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh it's about the love. It's about someone like cooking a loving meal for you while you get to like make something that's that support's pretty awesome. I'll never forget yeah. the, the bagels that your dad orders, but then also like I mean, you have like a Croatian family and there's like a lot of different kinds of ways of cooking in your family, right, Alex? Yeah, there there are. There are a couple of like ethnic dishes for sure. Um uh like just strange meat. Idea, strange ideas about how to prepare meat, <laughs> like salted meat and things like that, or yeah, like totally. braised meat and things like a lot of uh, preservatives, cured stuff, things like that. There's a thing called chivapchichi. Uh, um, go on. Actually, oh wait, you know? 
uh, I, I'm familiar with it. I, I, I come from Eastern European yeah. uh, part of the world as well. It's where my relatives are. Um, yeah, I'm not even sure you can really call it Croatian, although that's like how it came to the pipeline. It came down, but it's like my, that's former Yugoslavian, yep. Bosnian, Croatian kind of amalgamation of strange ideas about how to cook very normal dishes. Um, all right, let's hear another song. Uh, Iso is what you said you're going to play next. What's the story behind that song? Um, that's like a that's a pure quarantine. ISO is like a, you'll see it on dating apps. Or like mm. in yeah, like in search of, but then also the double meaning of like isolation. I say it in the course, so just like that, in search of myself, in search of someone else, and like longing for, longing for like the life that was before quarantine, um, and kind of going down that that like pretty dark spiral. Um, I really like this one. It's a very personal song. Um, Amazing. Like, well- yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, here we go. ISO live by Blooms Day here on Snacky Tunes on HRN.org.
Very awesome. Very well, you know, what I've noticed about your lyrics is you do deal a lot with relationships. And I think a lot of us went through the pandemic, re-examining relationships with other people and ourselves and some strengthen, but there was a lot of loss as well. Um, I read, you know, just losing, just like seeing the guy at the bar or out for your daily walk or just like the smaller interactions that make up life in so many ways. And then the interactions with other people became so much more weighted. Um, seeing how you wrote places to land during the pandemic, what did your thoughts about relationships with yourselves and other people play into the lyrics and, and does that continue on as we start to emerge out of it? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, my relationship to myself was like a whole, a whole phase of probably like from March till maybe June, like making contact with the public again a little bit. Um, but just really having to, to not have those connections. I'm like, I work in service. So I love like, I worked as a barista for years. I would be like my regulars and the people that I see daily, those small interactions made up so much of my life. Um, and like now being a server, like I, I just really recognize the importance of having these different dimensional relationships. Like I like think of it as like two dimensional and three dimensional, you know, and then like there are like the soul pod, everybody had their pod, you know, and that was like your closest people. Yeah. But I really think it, yeah, um, has illuminated the importance of like all the different types of connections in in like at least for me and I think the relationship with myself having to like heal through some stuff um made it so that like coming out of the pandemic I'm more certain about you know where I'm at and like what mm. I might need from all the all the kinds of people in my life that I'll come across and like I don't know I'm sure I'm sure you both like relate just like to needing to take there was nothing else to do like you got to think through your life you know like like shadows are going to come up you had to fucking deal with it and you know not having my live music and my service job and live gigs to go to and that whole world of especially in new york um i think really just it was like all right iris you're gonna have to deal with with yourself now you're gonna have to learn to like like this experience um which is definitely like I think a big part of, you know, the yearn that I have in my songs, at least on this record, there's a lot of yearn for another person to kind of fill this void. And the void was confronted for sure in the quarantine. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of time when there's no distraction of Mm -hmm. what is it? Life gets in the way of living that type of that sentiment. And you're like, Oh, it's, it's just me, me and my, my art. Yeah. And like identity, identity was weird because there was no external. So, you know, really having to, to, in this song or I, so, you know, I talk about looking in the mirror and, you know, I experience like my, my gender, non-binary gender dysphoria and things like that. Um, all became really like a different experience when you're not dealing with like the outside world and society and validation on a daily basis. Wow. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And it's to have a partner, to have someone support you, to be able to be like, I'm going to be very honest and truthful in that. Uh, it's a rare thing to say like, all right, like, let's get, 
these feelings out and make them packaged up nicely into songs mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that other people can also enjoy what you're saying and also maybe relate to them. And I think if anything, people have been looking for connections through art, through music, through things like that yeah, um, during totally. this time. And it's like, Oh, cool. Like I'm not alone. Like I'm not, yeah. Oh, someone else feels this way in Brooklyn and I'm living in, I mean, Texas. Thanks governor Abbott for being such a garbage piece of shit. Uh, but it's like, cool. Like I'm, I'm stuck in a small town, Texas, but here's the song coming out of Brooklyn. And like, I, there is connection. There are people out there. Like I, I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely felt that way during the pandemic. Just like that music can't die. Music is always there. Like no, no. matter what it's like going to get you through. <laughs> so as you come out of the pandemic, as you start to play these shows with these lyrics that were, were very introspective and written during a specific time. Um, how do they stay relevant? Do you, does the meaning change? Does it evolve? Um, or is it like this, this was the art we made during this time and this is captured and we're playing it, but then we're also going to start thinking about the new songs and the new things we want to say as we get back out into the world and see how people respond to these. Um, I remember playing it the first time and it was heavy. Like I remember yeah. like the first show I played in like 2021 was like in a playground in Ridgewood <laughs> to like a group of, of people outside. And um, yeah, I remember it being pretty heavy and it was heavy for a while playing it live. And I do think there's a certain weight that it's a, there is a sharedness to, you know, I sing like isolation. Um, I think people just, I've heard a lot of songs kind of like confronting that topic. And like, I think we've all just like had a shared traumatic experience so it hits me every time I sing it um it will I think it will develop and change and like as we get further and further out of this thing um the way that songs I think exist is kind of like how memories exist they like don't really live in time like they might have happened at a time but like the way that they feel when you're singing a song or like the, the way a memory feels when you're thinking of it and when it passes through is timeless. Like it's like a, it exists in this liminal space. So revisiting that experience is just like having a memory. It's beautiful. Yeah. Thanks. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, well, congratulations. Um, I'm super excited. Fingers crossed to make it out to LA. Yeah, um, dude, for sure. We love LA. Makes- well, I don't love LA. It's all right. I like it. Okay. <laughs> I'm told I will love LA. I'm told Alex. I'm doing my life all wrong and, and LA is the place to be. That's not a good, I, I know we were talking about that before I got, but a friend telling you that like you're fucking your life up and living in the wrong city is that's, that's, <laughs> hard shit. that's, that's fucked up shit. Um, it's like, are you going to pay for my truck and for, for me to like reevaluate my life and go across country? And you got Iris. You can't leave Iris. Yeah, you can't go across the other side of the country. I don't think I'm do that. <laughs> well, listen, <laughs> Uh, you make me wistful for my for my Williamsburg Bushwick stomping days, and I, and uh, congrats on Baby's All Right. Um, c- can you tell people when the album's coming out, where to follow you, um, where to check yeah. out the album, which comes out, I, I want to say June 10th? Yeah, yes? June 10th, yeah. Let's go, the baby. Album comes out on Bayonet Records June 10th. Um, you can find us on Instagram, Bloomsday with three O's, and on Spotify, Bloomsday, Bandcamp, SoundCloud, the whole nine yards. The whole nine yards. The whole nine yards. I I'm think really I never noticed that it has three O's. Like yeah. until, until you get, and you'll obviously be um, 
on Kanye's stem player coming out, uh, right? The Bloomsday limited Def. drop. Deaf, dude. Deaf. <laughs> with, well, our, with our sneaks. Yeah. <laughs> we're so, sneaks. An NFT. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot about the Bloomsday NFT uh, coming out. Um, all right. We got time for one last song. It is voicemail. Quick story behind that song before we hear it. Yeah, that's also a quarantine song. Just like really wishing you could talk to this person or see this person that you haven't seen um, and growing apart because that can happen. Yeah. It's beautiful, but it breaks my heart because it hits (laughs) so close to home. Uh, Listen, Iris, Alex, thank you so much. Congratulations again. Uh, Thank you to everyone who listened. We'll be back next week. Here we go. Bloomsday Live one last time on HRN. Dot org.
talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.